Welcome to the March 1st edition of the PFF Forecast. Brad Spielberger, live from the greatest city in the world, at least during this week. Indianapolis, uh, live at the Combine, is Brad Spielberger. And we are going to uh, hit a few different things. We're going to talk draft props, uh, specifically Combine props, and some of the stuff about Jalen Carter, what that means for the number one overall pick props. Um, So a little update on that. Uh, Brad is going to give us the intel on what he's heard uh some stuff's got to stay off the record but i'm going to get as much out of them as i can uh it'll be a great podcast let's rock I was expecting you to at least be live from St. Elmo's. This appears to be a hotel room. Um, at uh, what, what, like, what happened? I thought we had the the entire bottom, uh, downstairs of St. Elmo's reserved just for this podcast. I should go over there, get some shrimp cocktail, a nice steak, and just do the podcast. That'd be ideal. Um, that I I do think that perhaps getting some information, maybe trying to get someone on the podcast during the legendary PFF party downstairs at St. Elmo's would be, would be a great episode. Um, but let's, let's start here. So um, you've been there now for a couple of days. I think the biggest story to come out seems to be the Jalen Carter stuff from today for anyone that's kind of been living under a rock. Can you give us a little bit of a recap and like what might come next? Yeah, for sure. So obviously we are going to talk about the draft implications and all those things. But of course, first and foremost, a terrible, terrible situation. Um, You know, two young people passing away in this situation. So um, essentially what happened was, if you hadn't heard about this story, a couple of weeks ago, it came out that a Georgia player and a grad assistant had passed away in a car crash. Um, You know, believed at the time to be a single car accident, no really kind of implication of anything else. Um, it now looks like the belief is, and I, you know, I don't want to, you know, misspeak, but essentially, um, that Jalen Carter is believed to have been racing against this car, um, you know, and and then obviously, you know, left that scene, um, and now, you know, the, the belief is from the Athens, Georgia Police Department that he was involved in some capacity. So it was very weird. So there's these podiums that happen every year where you know a bunch of players come in, they talk to us about 10, 15 minutes, you fire off questions. He was scheduled to do either 10 or 10:30, I forget. And of course, everyone wants to go see his, going to be a top mm-hmm. five pick, all those things. And all of a sudden, it's like 10 15, and they're never late. They're always very on time. They're very, you know, rigid regimented with it. And we're sitting there, we're like, what's going on? And you look at your phone and we see the tweet. And, you know, also, I thought it was interesting. No scoopage here. It came, the, 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 the scoop was from the police department. They put this out. Wow. Um, and then comes out that he basically flew home last night. Um, to go address these charges, charged right now with two misdemeanors, one for racing is the name of the charge. Well, the other one, I forget the charge. I don't want to say. But anyway, um, so obviously massive implications here. Um, it did not do the the podium, of course, and, and all those things. And so, yeah, and then here we are. Wow. So um, obviously, like terrible from a human perspective and from a kind of draft perspective for a lot of teams is sort of a nightmare scenario as well. I mean, obviously Jalen Carter was a really good player on the field and this, you know, creates some, some issues uh, that might prevent him from being picked. Let's see what like the betting markets have reacted here. So FanDuel um, Carter was, I believe, was it six to one? Um, It was at nine early early this week. It it went from like six to nine this week. Yep. It went from six to nine this week. It was four fifty. went to six, went to nine. 
to one. It is now 26 to one. I'm actually surprised, Brad, that he's even still on here, to be honest with you. I don't think he should be. There's no reason for him at this point, in my opinion. Right? Like, I, I, I can't imagine that this is kind of turning around here. Um, so let's take a look at what those number one overall odds are right now. Bryce Young, minus 170. CJ Stroud, plus 350. Anthony Richardson, plus 750. He has moved pretty dramatically up. Will Levis, 9 to 1. Will Anderson, 11 to 1. Jalen Carter, 26 to 1. Tyree Wilson is 50 to 1. So, what do you kind of make of this? Because there's two components, right? The first is the number one overall pick has been rumored your Bears are probably going to trade it. So, you know, we had kind of thought maybe Carter was the guy, if they were going to stay up there, they were going to take Carter. You know, from that person, does this change anything with respect to, you know, the Bears or maybe even the Cardinals? Um, and then there's also the, you know, okay, if you do, you know, who is that second defensive player? Who's that first defensive player off the board? Because it, it was kind of a toss up, you know, between, um, uh, Anderson and Wilson to be number two. And now one of those guys can be number one. Yeah. So I think it has massive effects on both the Chicago bears and in Arizona Cardinals for Chicago. I think now, look, they'd still would like to trade down. Um, but I, I would imagine only to two, right? You go to two with Houston, which you're not going to get a ton of value, um, you know, because they know you don't want to go to four anymore. I think, you know, before this, it was, hey, we'll go to four with the understanding of, all right, first overall pick quarterback, second overall pick quarterback, and then Arizona will either take one of these guys, maybe they trade out as well, which I'll get to, and then we'll take the one of Anderson or Carter. Now, I would imagine their thought process is, and by the way, these podiums are very boring, very cliche. Will Anderson's was the best I've ever seen. I've been here three years mm-hmm. now, four years now. He was giving awesome answers, talking ball, but also just being a normal dude, just a very cool guy. Um, so, no, I think he impressed today, and I'm sure he's doing very well in interviews. But so – you know, now I think so. The first knockdown effect is the Bears probably maybe don't want to go. Maybe they don't even trade at all. And then secondly, if you're Arizona, let's say it goes. Let's say hypothetically, Bryce Young at one, uh, Will Anderson to the Bears at two. You're sitting there at three, and you no longer want to take Jalen Carter. Now I think if you're Las Vegas at seven, if you're Atlanta at eight, if you're the Car- the Panthers at nine, if you're Tennessee at eleven. And Arizona no longer thinks, okay, there's a blue chip, really, really good player. That now I think becomes a way more likely trade spot at number three. So what's interesting here is the Tyree Wilson smoke, uh, which is there's probably more to it because I did see a picture of his wingspan, which uh, is really impressive. (laughs) Um, The dude is a monster. But remember, Jeremiah, Daniel Jeremiah had Wilson going ahead of Will Anderson. Do you think this is a situation where the Bears view the difference between Anderson and Wilson more so than maybe the Cardinals would, right? We've talked about this kind of how do GMs draft? What sorts of things are they looking for? Anderson appears to be more of the, you know, production over traits kind of situation, although it's weird to not say say that he doesn't have like great traits. But, um, you know, so is that like, how do you view Wilson here? Has he fallen back? Has Wilson, uh, has Anderson moved ahead just because of his, uh, like his ability to converse at the podium? You know, what's actually interesting is that if you go look at Matt Eberflus coach defensive ends, I mean, guys that he was a part of drafting, Quiddy Pay from Michigan, first round pick, and then Dio Odingbo from Vanderbilt, second round pick. Mm-hmm. Those guys are like 6'4, 6'5, 265, 275 pounds. Will Anderson is currently listed as 243 pounds. So Tyree Wilson, actually, I think you would make the argument is the better quote unquote fit from a measurable standpoint in what Maeve Flus historically has liked to do. Um, but I do think with Anderson, I think there is a, a special talent there. I mean, he played like four eye. He was, he was moved around the Alabama uh, defensive line. And I think he has the play strength to hold up. But 
I actually would argue, you know, yeah, like it's if you're go, just looking at how does this guy fit what this coach likes to do, Wilson actually would be the player that, that answers that question. Yeah, I, I tend to think – I tend to agree with you there. And you look at – I mean, so Ryan Pace doesn't have a lot of, you know, drafting – I guess experience here uh, that you can rely on because Ryan Poles, don't don't trigger me, Ryan. Oh, Poles. sorry, sorry, uh, Ryan Poles. Um, I don't know how I made that connection, but anyways, um, yeah, that that was. <laughs> um, I'm usually better than that, but anyways, Ryan Poles doesn't have a ton of you know actually like kind of pulling the trigger experience, right? I mean, that was mostly um, you know people ahead of him in Kansas City, right? So with Brett Veach and you know Andy Reid. So do we have anything to kind of go on with pace? Do you think Eberflus is making the call here? Because I would agree with you. You look at like Khalil Mack, for example, that physical specimen and beast of a man, like, you know, that was obviously a different um, uh, uh, group there in Chicago. That's probably why I thought of pace. Um, but like, you know, you just think about Chicago, like you think about kind of a massive, you know, a, a guy that can handle the elements, so to speak. Um what what insight might you bring with polls coming over from Kansas City? Yeah, so I think he's shown, you know, a willingness to wheel a deal. I mean, he traded down four times in last year's draft. Obviously, during this season, he traded away Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. So I think he is a guy that's a mover and shaker. I do think Matt Eberflus is very involved. I've probably said this on the show before, but I don't think fans realize how much head coaches do dictate personnel moves. But um, I, I think Paul's also, like, he's a former player. So he's, you know, truly, yes, he's a personnel guy, but I think he also speaks that language. He's not like a, you know, a whatever. He doesn't have a different path that gets there that has a coach pushing him around even more. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think this shakes up their entire approach. I think it makes them go back to the drawing board and have to basically start at square one, uh, potentially. But I think he is a guy that is a, you know, buy on trade like is this guy a guy that we can mold into a player let's say you know production matters yes but projecting a guy out once we get our hands on him all those cliches you know can we can we form him into a really good player i think that's how he that's how kansas city i think views it and i think he has that you know line of thought as well yeah by the way you want to know everything that you can about these players how they've performed in college how we project them forward into the nfl the one place that you need to go is pff.com the new 2023 NFL draft guide is live. It is fantastic. Um, it is the best that we've ever had and it's only getting better. There are updates coming throughout the draft season. You get, you know, alignment, uh, how frequently players played at different alignments for O-line and D-line, plus all the advanced data around how well players have performed. And you also get access to uh, the big board. So you look at our big board, we have Will Anderson at three. Um, obviously, we, we haven't updated it yet with Jalen Carter. I'm sure he will get move down here, uh, but we have Tyree Wilson at seven. Tyree Wilson has never had a PFF grade in, in the past three years above 75.1. That was what he had last year. So from a production standpoint, Will Anderson, who's had grades in the eighties each of the last two years, including almost 90 the year before this past one has been elite from a production perspective, but I do think there's some value there and, and potentially when the kind of team player, um, uh, combos come out in in the draft props that would be one to look at what do you think about Indy so is Indy not trading up is that like off the table now or are they just waiting what does that look like yeah so I would, let's say the hypothetical I had before plays out where Chicago doesn't want to go that far anymore I still think they maybe have to go to three just to prevent these other teams behind them from jumping to three 
Um, I will say this before. Let's say let's say that's not the case, and Chicago is still comfortable going down. My my in my opinion, the value is betting every other quarterback besides Bryce Young. Like I think he's going to be the pick, but I think minus one sixty is is a bit of a stretch. And a guy like I have Levis at ten to one. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Back now to nine to one. Um, Anthony Richardson is probably a bit too steamed, and I would wait for a couple of weeks before you go back to that market. But um, anyway, I think that's the thing. Now they maybe have to move at one spot themselves to prevent the other teams from jumping ahead of them. Um, and look, they have to go quarterback. Like they, they're trying to pretend like, oh, we might go better. We might do this. Mm. They're they're drafting a quarterback in this class. Okay, that I think is like if they don't. I mean, the only thing I could see from an indie perspective is, look, we're at four. It's going to cost us. We just wait for next year, like pull the, you know, the trifecta in terms of generational talents that they drafted with uh, Caleb Williams, Andrew Luck, and, and Peyton Manning. But um, I think that does make sense. Um, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more broadly now. What are some of the narratives? What are the things that you're hearing that you think you can trust um, from what people are talking about at the combine and just for people who, you know, if you haven't been to the combine, which, you know, there's no real reason to ever go to Indianapolis, but if you are going to go to Indianapolis this is probably the reason to go. Um, you go to a bar, um, prime is the bar. It's a steakhouse. It turns into a bar at night. And I mean, you can just go up to a GM and I mean, you could talk to them now. They might not talk back to you, but the point is it's a place where people feel relatively safe talking about things. A lot of deals get done here. A lot of negotiations, you see agents, obviously from a free agency perspective. So there's a lot that goes on there. Um, so it is a great place to learn things. You do have to be able to sift through the, the, the BS. I think you are a pretty good BS sifter. What, what, what uh, insights rise to the uh, rise to the top? Yeah, I like to think so. You know, I think the big thing uh, we, we were looking at and we're waiting for more markets to put these things out. But obviously, testing starts tomorrow. I mm -hmm. guess when you're listening to this, starts today on Thursday. Um, and there are some props out on prize picks right now, which is you know an app where you can only do parlays. You can't bet on single things. Um, but we are hoping and expecting for books to put out um, you know these props on over-unders for different testing. I'm sure 40 will be the biggest market by far, the 40-yard dash. Um, you know, the, the over on Gordon McGinnis at six and a half seconds did catch today um, in, the, in the combine experience. That's a, that's a whole separate conversation. But um, there are four guys that I, I of course, Mike Renner and Trevor Sikama are in-house draft guys. I asked mm -hmm. their opinion. But then I also throw that around to a couple other people um, in the draft space and their thoughts on a couple of these over-unders. So there a couple that jump out, Miles Murphy, the Clemson edge rusher, a 4.55. Mm -hmm. That everyone said the over there is is a good play. Um, Brian Breesy, also from Clemson, their interior guy. I mean, a guy who's like 300 plus pounds, and his 40 is listed at 4.77. Uh, for that one, I think Trevor Sycamore went into our database, basically said, if a guy weighs this much and runs this fast, what percentile would that be? Because we have that information. That would be a 98th percentile 40-yard dash for him. So, And he's coming off an injury to end his, his season at Clemson. So th those two jumped out to them. Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback from Penn State, hmm. it's listed at 4.45. Very good player, um, but a taller corner, you know, a big, like, I want to say 6'2", 6'3", guy. Um, they thought the over was also a play there. And one more, Broderick Jones, the tackle from, I want to say, Georgia. Um, Georgia or Ohio State? A powerhouse tackle. Um, his listed at 4.79. He's a guy who's like 325, 330. Again, like, I think it would be a 90-plus 90, 90 percentile 40-yard dash. So if those four names come out in that range on an actual sports book where you don't have to parlay, if you have prize picks, go ahead, um, you know, and maybe, you know, make some plays on those. But 
those were consensus. I talked to four or five people at least on each of those. Um, and it was a consensus. Those numbers are a bit too low. Okay. Well, what I like about that is continuing to bet overs, but in this case, overs are more like, uh, unders generally are, yes. I think everyone likes yes. to, likes to take, uh, you know, wants people to be fast. I think the difference here is people just don't know much about anything for a lot of these guys. Um, you know, and you can get a lot of insight just from having watched the film. I think that's where, um, you know, that that's where Trevor and Mike really know because they watch these guys play a, a ton. Um, so those all make sense. The Joey Porter one, I think, is the one that, that probably sticks out to me um, the most. So that's that's super fast. Um, and uh, you could see people just liking his name and betting under, um, which which I think is, uh, is a good one. So um, those all make a ton of sense. By the way, go check out the PFF Printing Press Discord, which is where if there are any updates to this or are there any more that we kind of are hearing or seeing um, at the Combine, we'll post them there. And you can jump on them. Are these only available at prize picks right now? Is that the deal? As far as I'm aware, only available at prize picks. And I think it's a great point you said. We, these are taking unders effectively in games because everyone just wants to see their favorite player run super fast um, and, and thinks every year we're going to get these generational guys. I'll tie it, I'll tie this in. Maybe it's not tied to 40 or dash time, but pretty much every GM, you know, probably not on the record, but essentially saying like, this is not a good draft class. Like they don't view it as a great group. Of course, the quarterbacks will define how we look back on in the in the future. Um, but yeah, it's not really viewed as a special class. So why should we expect a lot of these guys to test out of the building? Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Um, so those are draft or combine props. What about from a draft prop perspective? Is there anything that, or maybe in free agency where, you know, it seems like people are either just talking about this guy a lot or, you know, for, most people are positive, right? You probably won't feel many, find many people just killing dudes at this point in time. But are there any kind of hot names that, you know, are being thrown around that you just keep hearing come up? Um, and what might we make of that? Yeah, I think one that's interesting, it's probably maybe lost a little bit of value because Daniel Jeremiah put him super high uh, in his one of his recent mock drafts. That's Lucas Van Ness, the, the edge defender from yeah. Iowa. Um, yeah, where he's a guy where, uh, it's, again, I got to give credit to our guys and, you know, Mike and I had this conversation, but again, I talked to those guys and I bug other people I know in the space, but basically Iowa is so old school where if you're not an upperclassman, not a senior, you don't play. So he didn't play a ton. Uh, and then, you know, people just don't think he was viewed properly or played properly, deployed properly, you know, put him out on the edge, let him rush, um, you know, as a seven or even a wide nine, probably not a wide nine, but nevertheless, like he was put inside, he was not playing a ton. Um, and, and so they think he's a guy that, that like, he's going to test off the charts. Um, mm -hmm. And a guy that people think is a very, very good football player. Um, that's a big one for sure. Like I said, probably maybe been steamed a little bit at this point. Um, and I would say, too, one more thing that I think there's some value there. I'm not certain Quentin Johnson is the first wide receiver off the board. He mm -hmm. is currently the favorite. I would guess the reason he's there is, A, TCU made the national championship game, so has a lot of name recognition. And then, B, he is the only potential X outside receiver as a you know, 6'4", 200-plus pounds, whatever. In my opinion, he doesn't really play that big. Um, you know, he's made some incredible contested catches and stuff like that, but you also, on, the, on his film, see some, some misses there. Um, I think a guy like a Jordan Addison to be first wide receiver taken um, is a good bet right now. Can play on the outside, probably will be a slot eventually. Um, but I, I just, I'm just not sure. I mean, to mention Jeremiah, again, he didn't have him in his first mock draft going the first round at all. Um, yeah. and, and had multiple receivers ahead of him. So I think that's a good play as well. I want to say he's plus um, plus 265 is Jordan Addison, the second favorite, but I think there's some value there. You, so you mentioned Ben Ness, and I 
like him a lot. I think he, you know, it's a bummer that you can't take there aren't more widely available markets right now because you know thinking about how he's going to test i think the dude is going to test out of this world so he's 6'5 270 uh and to your point was just a sophomore last year um and so that lack of you know production he played 478 snaps okay it's 271 of those were, were pass rush snaps so that's not that's just not a lot i mean you look at um you know let's compare him to Will Anderson, I guess if I can ever get there. Um, and Will Anderson played 383 pass rush snaps. So just, you know, a, a, a big discrepancy in terms of amount of playing time. Um, but it, you know, as Mike writes, like this dude is a freak of nature. And while you look at his film and again, Mike writes this also in the draft guide, he's kind of a one rush, uh, one move guy. But here's the thing: when people see that film, they're gonna they're gonna forget completely about it when they see how athletic the dude is, and then they go watch him work out and they go, "Oh, he's developed all these other moves, right?" Well, what do you guys think these these dudes have been working on in the past three months? They've just been like, you know, sitting there doing yoga. Like, no, they know. Hey, we have one move. That's what people think about us. We're gonna diversify. We're gonna show all that stuff. So I think that one makes a ton of sense. I think he, you know, you always see this. Guys that are freakishly athletic, Jordan Davis last year, there's only so many of these dudes. If there's one thing that I continuously hear Chris say, and Chris talks to every owner and every GM every single week that, you know, you keep hearing is there's just something about guys that are uniquely athletic that are, they're going to go higher because you can't find those guys. I think it's why you see corners dropping rather frequently because it's just, it's harder to imagine that you'll see, you know, that, that you won't see that kind of speed and, and agility versus that time, the type of like a human, you know, from a size uh, perspective. So I, I think Van Ness is a guy that makes a ton of sense. Is there a team in your mind that, you know, might be, oh, this is their top 10 and they're going to take him and it would be a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, again, obviously tied to the our original conversation as well. It kind of you know shakes up the entire teams that need defensive line. Um, you know, you look, uh, Seattle is desperate to add more on the edge, so they're mm. picking at five. I think they make all the sense in the world. Um, I mean, even Detroit at six. Yes, they just drafted Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Pascal, two players I you know I personally loved coming out last year. Um, but they could still you know continue to add along the defensive line. They've kind of shifted Aiden on the interior sometimes on pass rushing downs, mm -hmm. and you know I think they, Aaron Glenn is definitely very kind of versatile in how he deploys guys. So those teams, look, Atlanta is desperate for pass rush as well. Um, I, Ryan Nielsen coming over from New Orleans. I think it would make a little bit more sense, um, you know, like historically, I think Atlanta would make, he's more of a, they were using more outside linebackers. I think Nielsen might bring over from New Orleans, but they want those big, you know, defensive end type players. Um, so, you know, is that a fit? Who knows? But yeah, I think he's a guy that will probably sneak into the top 10 and you start looking from five to 10 um, and you can probably find some fits there. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you mentioned, um, you know, teams like uh, Atlanta, for example, we've talked a little bit about Atlanta and, you know, every GM is not, they're not going to say, oh yeah, we don't want this player. We're going to trade him. So if you're not expecting Cincinnati to come out and be like, yeah, T Higgins, you know, kind of shy, we're kind of looking for, for people to get rid of them. You know, we just can't, we don't think we can pay him. Um, you know, Lamar's great, but uh, you know, we think it might be just over with him. Of course, you're not going to hear that. Wh which of these, you know, kind of, we love this guy. Um, you know, we're going to keep him. Do you think has the most kind of weight to him and which ones do you go? 
Yeah, they're saying that in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks from now, or when the draft rolls around, we're going to go. Remember that quote? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this year's the, the Josh Rosen infamous graphic of Josh mm-hmm. is our guy. Uh, I think it's Kyle Trask. I just – I don't think anyone believes it for a second um, down in Tampa. I mean, he was never the QB2 behind Brady at any point, uh, you know, because Blaine Gabbert, you know, the the – the prodigal Blaine Gabbert was ahead of him in the depth chart the yeah. entire time. So I don't think anyone really believes that one. Um, as for the you know, the ones that people do believe in, I'll tell you, I think New York is trying really, really, really hard to keep both guys in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Can they pull it off is a different question, but I actually think that is real that they, they would like to have both of those guys back. I don't think it's, I don't think it's smoke. Wow. That is amazing. So the Tampa Bay one, would they look to trade up? Would they look to, take a Tanner McKee or a Hendon Hooker? Like how, is it a free agency play? Are they looking at a Derek Carr? Like wh- where does that, cause that would really shake things up, right? If they were to, to go after one of these free agent, um, you know, options, I mean, maybe say Jimmy G, like, what do you think makes sense there? I think they're a team, like you mentioned, maybe in the second round, you look into a Tanner McKee, Hendon Hooker type player. I know Jeremiah mentioned that Hooker could slip into the bottom of the first round. I, I mean, obviously he's an authority compared to me, but a 25-year-old coming off a torn ACL, I don't know if that's that's going to happen, but I do think he is a potentially great second-round flyer, a guy that would have gone in the first had he not gotten hurt. Uh, you, you bring him in, let him sit for a year or get healthy, um, and then maybe he does take over. And so then... I think they're going to be kind of in that like Baker Mayfield type of market, a kind of a bridge guy to, to that next player um, It would be my guess. Yeah. McKee, 6'6", 230, pretty pure pocket passer guy. One of the things I like about the draft guide is the the player comps. McKee's is Kerry Collins, um, which I think is interesting. People forget Kerry Collins has had some good years. Um, by the way, Luke Van Ness, Justin Smith. Um, which I think is super interesting. Um, and obviously people who are Niners fans will remember Justin Smith. Uh, he was a terror um, out there. Uh, the Lamar Jackson stuff, uh, any development there? I mean, is this a place where you would expect, I mean, it's weird because he doesn't have an agent, right? So like normally you'd expect movement on these types of things over the combine, but his agent ain't there. <laughs> No, and that's a huge piece. Like, right, like, uh, you know, you could assume that 90% of leaks on anything is probably coming from that side of the table. Um, so if you're hearing things about, you know, the, the negotiation there, I'm not saying I'm like, you know, accusing Baltimore of leaking, who knows, but um, but it does kind of change the entire dynamic of it by not having, you know, an agent there. Look, mm-hmm. Eric DaCosta, the GM, had his podium today. He Not only did he kind of not want to talk about it in general, um, I kind of find it interesting and weird. They keep saying they like kind of refused to acknowledge which tag they're going to use the non-exclusive or the exclusive. And I almost think they're trying to say it as like a, not a knock on Lamar, but like, I mean, what other, what other takeaway could you have? Like if I was, you know, in a position where we're trying to convince him, we love him. He's our guy. I'd say, yeah, we're going to exclusive because I'm not letting anyone sign into an offer sheet because he's not going anywhere. Or if he is going somewhere, we're going to get 10 first round picks for it. Um, You know, we're not going to get it signed away for two first round picks, which would be the non-exclusive. So I just think they're kind of playing some games with with how they address that. Maybe they just don't want to tell us, um, which is fine too, but no developments there. I mean, the tag deadline is March 7th, which is five days from when this is coming out. Uh, so, so very, very soon. Um, it, it just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm in the same position. I think he's going to get the exclusive tag. Um, and this thing is going to drag on until that July 15th deadline, which is when franchise tag players can be extended. I don't think we'll have a resolution until right up until that date. Okay. That, um, 
I mean, it makes sense. I wouldn't expect it to, to come out before then, to be honest with you. Um, but it will be super interesting to watch. Um, okay. You are on your way to a great evening. I hope that you have a story as good as this one. So I promised I would tell it last week uh, on Sunday. I forgot. Um, but uh, my first combine ever, um, which was, I, I don't remember which year it was, but um, it uh, it must've been around, I can't remember if Jimmy G, it, was it his first year? I think it was the first year that he had played on the Niners is my guess. And it's, this is important context. So um, I am uh, I am out at, at Prime and I think this was earlier in the week and meet um, the high school or college, whatever it was, quarterbacks coach for Jimmy G. Um, and it, I, I'm forgetting this guy's name. I want to say uh, something Christensen. Uh, his son is also a quarterbacks coach. And, um, so I, of course am, you know, Niners fan. I'm excited about Jimmy taking over the world. So we start talking and, um, we're having a good conversation and, uh, you know, whatever. So we, we know each other. And as the, the week rolls on in Indy, you go back to prime, you know, each night, it's not like you are only going to see people one time. So I come back and the next night, uh, we somehow get into this conversation about Tom Brady. And I am like adamant that Tom Brady has improved his throwing motion and his arm strength and all these things over the course of his career. And I don't know if, if um, this guy, and I'm blanking on his first name, but I don't know if he had worked with Tom at some point or knew Tom House or whatever, but he was like, no, you're wrong. So he pulls up tape on his phone of like Tom Brady throwing at Michigan. He's got like Jimmy G side-by-sides. We're like looking at the mechanics and we are in a knockdown like drag. Like I thought the dude was going to punch me in the face. Like he was so mad that I was incessant. I know nothing about quarterbacking. I am incessant that Tom Brady's arm strength has improved. And so Steve Palazzolo is uh, with me and he's just kind of looking at me outside. I like, dude, if you get punched in the face by this guy, like this is going to be incredible because he knows I'm not going to do anything, you know, to him. I'm just sitting there having a good time, but I'm kind of egging him on, egging him on, egging him on. And, um, so at, at some point, you know, we get kind of separated and, um, you know, but he's like, you know, MFing you and not, you know, MF you back and forth. And, um, you know, I I'm holding, uh, to my guns. So we get pulled away. And now for the rest of the week, every time we cross paths in the JW Marriott, like, you know, the tension, you could cut it with a knife, Brad. So <laughs> finally, um, finally it's, uh, it, it's the night of the, um, the PFF uh, party and he shows up to the party. And so he realizes that he's either going to start making fun of me, you know, or we're going to, you know, we're going to have an issue here or he's going to be nice. So he comes up to me and I'm ready for it. I, you know, I'm like, all right, we're going to get back into this. I'm going to win this one. He goes, Hey man, I'm really sorry. As a, uh, as a make it up gift, I have some film of Jimmy G's like practice sessions from like high school (laughs) that I want to show you. So no joke, sitting there in the bottom of St. Elmo's watching like clips on this guy's phone of like Jimmy G throwing against air on, on his phone, but it gets, it gets so much better. I think it's over. I think we've buried the hatchet and we're at prime the the last night and Christian Hackenberg comes up and people remember Christian Hackenberg because he's sick. He sucks. He's terrible. 
that he was out of the league and this guy was working with Hackenberg. And I don't know how we got on the topic, but I was like, okay, you can at least level with me here. We've had our disagreements. Hackenberg sucks, right? He looks me dead in the eye and he goes, Hackenberg's going to be a top five quarterback in two years. And (laughs) out comes the phone again. He's got more clips. And we're looking at Christian Hackenberg throwing that off season. And I'll never forget it. Uh, And this guy's a great guy. And it's not like I'm not you know, making fun of him in any way, shape or form. Hackenberg was unfixable. So he shows me this, this, uh, this uh, video, and this is a perfect example of like traits versus production. So he shows me the clip, Hackenberg drops back, makes a throw. Before the throw has gotten halfway to the receiver, he's looking up at me and going, see, I told you so. Look at that motion. The ball sails over the receiver's head by 15 <laughs> feet, Brad. I mean, this thing wasn't even remotely close. And uh, we got right back into it. So <laughs> we didn't end up throwing blows, um, but it's a uh, it's a great example of how the combine is a fantastic place for people who know ball and want to talk about it. Christian Hackenberg was arguably a top five quarterback on his XFL roster uh, last season. So you know, maybe that's what he meant, and maybe he wasn't wrong in, the, in that argument. It, it's amazing that we went we we talked about Tom Brady the goat, Jimmy G the goat. And then we had to close. We closed out on Christian Hackenberg, who yeah. you never know. Maybe maybe makes a comeback. You never know. I hope that you have, do not get um, into a fight, but have an epic evening and rest of your trip. Don't die. You got to stay healthy. It's important. We'll be back on Sunday night and uh, hear about Brad's great stories from the combine. If you haven't checked out the PFF Printing Press Discord, get in there. Uh, the link is in the description, and uh, we will see you, wonderful people, on Sunday night. Peace.